Hey, bitch. Oh, hi, Steve. I was playing the mind there. Yeah, you're playing it well. Seeing who's going to say hello first while we stare each other in the eyes. Yeah. Yeah. How are you? I'm great. How was your week? Also great. Really hot. Welcome back to Everyday Meeple. Where everyday people talk everything meeple. It's our radio show on CHMA 1069. And our podcast show on the interwebs. Yeah, that one's been being a little neglected. I think I might release all of the radio shows into podcast sure. wildlands. Yeah, we, yeah, we're always chatting games. We, they are all available on the website. I made, I made a little the radio show tab yeah. on the website, but I might just release them into the wild and see what happens. Sure. I mean, if, if people are like me, if I start listening to a podcast, I just, I can't skip episodes. Even if I'm not interested in the, the content or, or the, who, who someone might be interviewing, I'm like, no, I gotta I'll go chronologically. I don't want to miss an in joke down the road or something like that. So yeah, maybe people are like that. So I've seen you a couple of times this week and I kept wanting to say, I, I learned something. Yeah. Interesting. Sort of interesting. Not that interesting. I, I okay. find it fascinating. We, we bought, uh, Oracles of Delphi. Yeah. A while back, we played it on my birthday till the power went out. And then uh, I think you won that game, actually. And I recently took it out again. I did. Played with Melissa. Mm-hmm. And and it started all, all her luck just evaporated for the first learning few rounds of that game. So I think it left a not an unfavorable taste in her mouth, but she didn't get excited about it at all. Fair enough. There's a bit but, going on. That game is a madness to set up. There's a lot of bits and there's a lot to sort through to set the game up. And it looks very intimidating, even though it's a very simple game. Right. Because there's so much stuff going on. And while I was setting everything up, I remembered a little thing and, and Melissa sat down and the, like the first thing she said, I was trying to explain what all of this stuff in front of her was. And she yeah. said, well, what are those little pillars for over there? Right. And, and I said, that's, I, I forgot about those. I don't know. All of the the tasks that you're trying to accomplish in the game have yeah. to do with like six different colors. And there are six p- wooden pillars that come in the game, one for each of these colors. Yeah. But there is no picture of them in the box. There's no picture or mention of them in the rules at all. Right. And so they're, they've been a complete mystery. And I put a picture of them up on Instagram and was saying, that. anybody tell me what these are? And and somebody uh, messaged me and said that it's a, a mini expansion where you get oh. to you get to use these to get an extra power. And he said, you know, it's not it's not super good because the game is a race, and as much as you might get something extra out of that, you're wasting right. your turn, which is a really crucial thing in a race game. And so I was like, wow, that's amazing. Thanks for for that. I, now I know some how to look it up better. So I yeah. went and looked it up a little better and it turns out what happened is that the first print run of those of of Oracles of Delphi accidentally yeah. have these pillars put oh, in wow. the box. Wow. And, and so they actually came up with the rules for the mini expansion to make up for the fact that they're in the box. <laughs> that's awesome. Which I think is <laughs> is hilarious. I think it's great. Yeah, that's amazing. They look and like what, little I'm gonna. I printed the rules off, and and we'll, you know, if I ever get to play the game again, I will play with that. But yeah, oh it, yeah, it doesn't matter if if it if it doesn't help, because it's just something to do if you want. Yeah, you know, you can have them in the game and yeah. and never use them, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's a great game. 
That's a it's Stefan Feld, right? Stefan or, Feld. Yeah. And it it has a familiarity with yeah. uh, Castles of Burgundy for the dice manipulation that you're doing. Right. But it's a it's strictly it's a pick up and deliver. Like you you gotta get this from here, yeah. move to there, but it's completely a race game. So there is no points and it's just whoever gets there first uh wins. Yeah, it's neat. I like I like that uh, that first play, first and only play. Checked a lot of boxes for me, but it does have a lot of moving parts. The first twenty minutes or so of playing that game was a little head scratching. If we were doing, <laughs> I, I should make a note. I'll just make a note. I want to do a rules episode where we oh uh, yeah yeah we just talk about rule books. Yeah, we should do that soon. And all things. So I'm just going to make a note here. Yeah, that I bring up my next thought later when we do that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we should do a rule. I've got some uh I've got some notes for rules since we mentioned that a little while back. But last week, last week we were saying uh right at the end of the episode, you, I don't remember how it came up, something about video games and uh we were talking about super motherload and yeah. undermining and we can, it started because it started because where I've been laid up from surgery, I've been playing oh, more video games than board games probably lately. And I got sucked into God of War, which I'm still pretty invested in. It's very, very good. And it's it's ripe with Norse mythology. And it's just really, really doing it for me. And I mentioned it was board game related because there's a board game of that uh, that particular video game, which started us on a, a mini conversation about, you know, the fact that board games sometimes try to recreate games, take take video game IPs and try to make board games or board games are often inspired by uh, video games and you lob the tennis ball back to me by bringing up uh, super motherload which is an interesting game from roxley and gavin brown and someone else uh, well the main the, the main designer for that game is matt tolman and he was <laughs> he's canadian roxley's uh, out of calgary and yeah. matt tolman is a, a designer out of alberta who was I don't know if he was a construction worker. Uh, he owned a, he owned a right. contracting company, and and when the Alberta economy turned down in like 2007, his yeah. I think his neighbor uh, invited him over to his house to play test a game. And I'm not right. sure if 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 he liked if he was collecting games before he was hanging out with his neighbor. He must have been, but he was like, oh, that's right. cool. I'll go play your game, and and loved it. <laughs> and I guess immediately decided well that will be my next move i'm going to be a game designer now and oh, he actually wow. went on to be one of the founding members of the league of canadian designers what's i can't remember if that's oh i'm probably getting the letters wrong in yeah. in that but uh he was trying to figure out uh i think he designed a couple games before he hit on a game called undermining and his inspiration for right. undermining was a video game called motherload so it was oh. a flash video game and he was like oh this is great i can do this and he he worked on it and worked on it and worked on it and he ended up sending it to z-man games and and they suggested that he fix a few things which were things that he felt were wrong about the game and he brought it back and and was able to i think at that time the game was he said it, he has a great design diary about it and he he was saying oh, that cool. it was lasting like 2 or 3 hours and he had all this stuff going on and he was able to fix all the things he wasn't liking about the game, bring the game down to about an hour, and he sent it back to Z-Man Games, who who then really liked it and published it. Right. And then years later, 
super mother load. Uh, I don't, I don't, I couldn't find a similar design diary for super mother load. Right. Cause I was really hoping that he would continue that. And then I'd be able to see how, mm-hmm. how that actually launched. But super mother load, the video game is the second incarnation after mother load. So it's the same game. Okay. It's yeah. relaunched on like the PS4 or something. And I'm not sure the year. <laughs> My research yeah. as always is impeccable. And so right. Roxley was working on putting out Super Mother Load, the board game. But the game is much more, there's a lot more going on in it than there was in Undermining. So it's not just like they reskinned Undermining to make Super Mother Load. Right. Like there was no deck building in, in uh, Undermining. That's what I was going to ask. Mm-hmm. And then Super Mother Load, that's sort of sort of how it works. I, I had known some of that before, and then I was listening, right. uh, mowing the lawn, listening to a Shut Up and Sit Down podcast where mm-hmm. they brought up Super Mother Load and, and uh, Matt. I think his name's Matt on there too, right? Matt, yeah. Different Matt, not the designer Matt. Different Matt. He was, he was talking yeah. about how hard it is to take video games and, and make board games and how how sometimes sure. if you try and be faithful it it just doesn't translate very well and some right. of the things that he was saying didn't hit for him with super mother load has a lot to do with that the gratification responses that you sort of get in a video game where you do a thing right. noise whenever you power up something yet there's all this stuff that actually connects we're in a board yeah. game when you when you power up something you do something you know, the other people playing with you barely notice. And like, there's a lot of that uh, just misses. Yeah. And so this, this train of thought that you're on right now is what kind of, I think got us thinking like, Oh, this is, there's a more of a conversation here. And I've been thinking about it kind of all week. Um, And I think you said, uh, and I listened to the shut up and sit down episode a while back too, uh, the same one. And I think you're saying Quinn's, uh, also brought up the um, Taburu board board game um, technology that they're working on, right? And it seems you know, and they're onto something. It's a really great idea um, that Cool Mini or not, Simon is designing basically a, a tabletop console, for lack of a better way. Uh, not really. It's just going to be an allow a board game to be interactive in the same way that a lot of board games right now are app app driven like the fantasy flight um dungeon crawl kind of style games uh, like mansions of madness so i can imagine that the, the, the way that they seem to be uh designing the taboo is which i think is japanese for table from I, I think they said it was probably a play on the words but yeah i, I wouldn't I, a weird yeah, translation I with, yeah that's how you say it uh, yeah the internet tells me uh, that's that's a straight oh, translation, yeah. but I know that's that's always tricky with uh, with yeah. Um, yeah with anything pretty much. But I imagine that that design is 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 going to be very similar in that you know, just say you're playing a dungeon crawl game and you got your miniatures on a tile and the taboo is under it, or maybe the taboo is a screen. I'm not exactly From sure how they're doing it. It's like a. Uh, it's like a neoprene kind of mat, right? That you would normally put on your thing. And you will just set up the board. Not on that the, it's on neoprene, it. but it's like that where people have game mats. Yeah. Lay it. So it'd be a, a mat like that. And again, I imagine it's going to be just a step 
it may not even be a step up. It might just be a lateral step from the app driven games. I don't know if it's going to run better or not. No one will know until they're, they're testing it out, I guess, but I can imagine that it, it gets rid of some of that administration or it gets rid of some of, uh, you know, you having to stare at another screen. But I think what Quinn's was suggesting that a good use of something like the Taburo would be to provide that kind of, uh, audio or sonic, gratification that video games gives you so when you're placing tiles on super mother load which is like a mining game you're digging down into mars i think it's mars uh and trying to find gems if you you know if you come across a gem you would get the what we all know like mario jumps and gets a coin that kind of bling bling so satisfying especially to anyone who grew up in the 80s playing 8-bit and NES games, those noises do something to our, our brains. Um, that could be a real, without even having to get into narrative immersion, dungeon crawl type games, they could just be gratifying us with audio noises or rumbles or crashes when you roll, when you roll a dice, just kind of like you're rolling a dice and like throwing a bowling ball down a canyon or something. You know, they could, it could be something else. Whether it would be annoying, or whether it could be done really well, not really sure. But it was it's interesting that that side of it, that concept is, I think, is fascinating. Where even the part where it can send data straight to like you have a your screen is your player board kind of thing, and when people yeah. are doing stuff, you get you know actual information of what's going on. And for hidden information games, the idea is huge. How yeah. to implement that and where they go with it. Who yeah. knows? And and one of the things that Matt had said on the show when Quinn's had, had said that, he said, but you don't really need that because when people play it enough, they go on their own. And like they do, the, yeah. the other, the other bling, bling. fellow that they were talking with, and I can't remember his name, he's not a regular. I think Tom. Okay. Uh, he was saying that, that some games have written in the rules that when you do this, you have to make this noise, which is right. theirs. But yeah. And like, like the... Uh, um oh god a rise of augustus or rise to augustus the uh the roman bingo game that we were talking about a few weeks back rise of augustus where i think yeah i think so yeah rise of augustus basically a bingo game but it's in the rule book that when you basically get bingo you don't just say hey bingo or i got it yeah ave caesar ave caesar you know there's things like that where you helps uh, immerse you in a, a game experience but board games can be very silly very silly go ahead Oh no, that's fun. Uh, okay, uh, I I love I love that concept. But whenever whenever we start talking about, there's so much to unpack about about board games and and the video games. The side that I was thinking of is also uh, there's because the industry is blowing up right now. There seems to be a lot more, uh, and it might have started. I don't know who it started with. It's been going on since the 80s. But sure. there's a lot more game design studios, video game design studios that are uh, crossing over and and trying to push out their IPs as board games. And, right. and with under, uh, Undermining and, and Super Motherload, where they were talking about how, how trying to do that is really tricky, where the mechanics don't always line up and you can't capture the same thing. So that's a very challenging thing to do. And it's, it's, I think getting better because there are so, so many good designers now and, and the, just the broad spectrum of yeah. board game design and mechanics and it's, it's getting better and better and better, but yeah. 
personally, I don't, I don't think it's a great thing. I think it's uh, I, I, I don't want to say the wrong thing because it, it's still a positive thing. It's still a great thing. Right. There's the game studios that are doing it are taking it seriously in most respects. It's, that doesn't seem like it's just a money grab, right. but, but you can't, you know, the bigger the company is, the more, uh, I have stuff written down here, but there's, for me, it feels like this is my personal opinion. Yeah. The hobby game sort of revolution that's come about has come about from very small families and individuals who have constantly loved board games and been pushing to expand and get their own ideas out. Yeah. And, and the more bigger companies saturate that market, the less that can happen. Yeah. And that's, that's for me, that's what I find I, why I don't like it. Yeah, I think not, that makes sense. Not because the games aren't good, not because sure. the art isn't spectacular, not because the IP won't, you know, is is wrong for this or, you know, I don't yeah. have any, oh, I don't think XCOM should exist. For it. Right. None of that. But for me, I, I think it's, it's too bad because it's going to push out maybe some of the chances for the smaller publishers yeah. and smaller people and be, you know the, the game industry is going to become more and more saturated right the, the more big money sort of comes into it yeah and i could kind of see uh, I, I i i'm going to agree with you mostly and i have a, a an analogy to make but i i do wonder if big companies are, are making a decision because the video game industry is so much bigger than the board game industry monetarily but i gotta wonder if they're just looking at ways to hook people who don't play tabletop games uh, from video games, you know, but I have, I have a couple things. Uh, one of them is an article from 20, 2015 mm-hmm. in a, a magazine that's called MCV develop, okay. which is a, which is an industry magazine, I believe. And it's written by a fellow named DeGold Keith. In this article, he was showing how we're talking about how the board game industry up until 2009 was growing at pace with sort of the population. So as okay. as population expanded, the the sales and the industry expanded. It wasn't running away, but it wasn't receding. It wasn't failing. It was just steady. Mm-hmm. And then 2009, apps hit the market. So smartphones got smart enough, and apps started saturating, and small game apps started saturating. And right. what what he was referring to as not the hobby games, but but basically all the light games, all the filler or casual filler games. type yeah. games, but he was lumping Trivial Pursuit and Monopoly okay. and all of that into it. Those sales crashed while Euro games started climbing. Hmm. So right, ab- right about then, it seems that um, mainstream gaming sort of evaporated right. while the actual hobbyists started latching on and it started picking up. So it's a little after Catan right. took over the world and Euro games and that hobby started climbing and climbing and climbing. And it's that climb that has become the industry now. Right. Also in this article, he was foreseeing, you know, total doom for that side of the board game industry entirely and video games running away for that thing and all of it sort of. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a little skewed, but it was, it was very interesting. Huh. Uh, and he had... Well, um, yeah. Well, I where, where I was going to agree with you and, and make a comparison, and for whatever reason that big companies might be trying to create IPs or drag in new gamers or whatever the case may be, I agree with you, and I tend to think of it like uh, 
the way Alan Moore talks about comic books. I don't know if you've ever heard Alan Moore or, or seen him talk about comics, but Alan Moore is just like an imposing figure. Alan Moore is the writer of, you know, Watchmen and, and V for Vendetta and Swamp Thing and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Um, he, in his youth, wrote for DC Comics where he wrote Watchmen. And of course, we all know what happens when you write for DC or Marvel. You, they own your book. So he wrote Watchmen, which is like a seminal book, one of the most important graphic novels, comic books ever. Uh, and of course, he kind of got out of big business comics then. And however many years ago, 10 years ago, I guess, they made the Watchmen movie, right? Mm-hmm. Alan Moore was like utterly against it. Like, don't turn this into a movie. Don't create, don't do anything else with these characters. Let it be what it is. And he's like very uh, vocal uh, about, I wrote this as a comic book and I, it, it's meant to be in this medium. I did things with this story that can't really be done the same way in film or television or animation. So it's a comic book. Don't, don't adapt it. And, he's, and he speaks to that. And lots of other comic creators do too, that they try to craft something that can only be a comic book. And I feel similar to you about uh, video game IPs or video games kind of infiltrating board games in that they're kind of separate things. And yes, board game designers can do a good job and make a fine game and, and a great game, but I kind of just want the board game art form to speak for itself and, and, and people's ideas to come from uh, being informed from that hobby and not the other. I know it's impossible for them to influence each other, but and it, it, this is a bit of a ramble, but it goes back to exactly what we're talking about with when, when Matt from Shut Up and Sit Down is talking about the gratification from games. It's, it starts to, what I've been asking, the question I've been asking myself all week is then, why are companies and designers making these games? And what are they hoping to accomplish? And can they accomplish the same experience? So the experience I get from a, a particular video game, and then I go play the board game version can I have that same experience? Should I have the same experience or should I have a completely new experience that's just kind of board games and, and, and isn't related to the video game? There's often a disconnect there. I, and I guess I've just been puzzling over like, is it worth it? Why are we doing it? Are we trying to create the same experience, a new experience somewhere in between? Um, right, so it's weird. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I'm cutting off a thought. No, no. I'm kind of just asking the question. Yeah. So it seems like there's two really different approaches. Mm-hmm. And and one of those approaches has to do with uh, sort of cashing in on the IP. Yeah. Where whenever an IP is big enough, like I've, I've never played the game Bioshock. It seems, I mean, I've the video game I've played, that the board game I haven't. Yeah. And the, the board game doesn't seem like it's really caught on. It looks beautiful. It seems like it just sort of sits there. I see it on sale a lot. And I think it's an okay game. It doesn't seem, but... doesn't seem talked about. But when it, and I only brought it up as it was the first one that came to mind. Yeah. So whenever you have a, a game that's that big, then part of the thinking might just be that if we put a game out, you know, we have a million fans, which is massive yeah. compared to board game fans. Some of those, like a, a good run of, of board games, uh, you know, if you print 10,000 copies in your first run, yeah, that's, that's like a, a great run. Uh, a small publisher can't can barely do that like if somebody's self-publishing a game the minimum is about five thousand right so 
whenever you have a million fans and I have, I have something else to talk about that, that talks to that, then, then a lot of the thought is if there's no way we can't sell 10,000. Right. Right. So if we do a good job and it looks good, we can sort of get it through. And I'm not, you know, obviously the thought process is a lot more in depth than that. Obviously there's a lot more gone. People who work in those industries love their games and it's not, I don't think it's ever just some dude in a suit going, we can make this, we yeah, can sell whatever. No. It, doesn't, it can be garbage. We can sell it. I don't think that's ever happening. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's uh, still love and care because, you know, game industries and everybody that works in that industry tends to want to be there. Yeah. So yeah. my other example, sort of the other side of that is one of the best games going for, for the example is Mechs versus Minions. Right. Mechs versus Minions is the only video game board game crossover in the top 100 on BGG. Interesting. Right? So it's at number 37. Yeah. And that's League of League of Legends? It's Riot Games, but yeah, they're, they're the creators right. of League of but Legends. Yeah. League of Legends. Yeah. It's the League of Legends universe. Yeah. Right? It's based in that universe, and it's Riot Games out of Australia. Yeah. But they didn't try and rebuild the video game. No, it's a good point. The, uh, the fellow behind it, I have... Uh, a quote from him where he says, for me, at least personally, I get really wary about board games that have a strong IP attached to them. Cantrell said his name's Cantrell. Yeah. Uh, it kind of feels like the company is cashing in on the intellectual property, trying to make me a quick buck. I even had people internally telling me at points that we should just do League of Legends Monopoly. <laughs> and I was like, we, we won't be doing that. Yeah. And so his approach was to very carefully not go that direction. Yeah, League of Legends isn't even on the box cover. It's not even on the title no, or anything. Exactly. Yeah. And and so he he's a he he's an avid board gamer. I think that in the same article it mentions he has a, a collection of about 1200. Oh wow. And they worked very hard to create I think I think they're capturing sort of the feeling and the vibe, but they've built their own very specific board game yeah. and it and it plays and it functions in its own complete world as as a board game. Yeah. And they, they went so far as they were ready to publish it and they stopped and they got, uh, the story goes, they got Tom Vassell uh, to come out. They bought a plane ticket for Tom Vassell. Right. Bought, bought a plane ticket for Quinn's, for uh, Quentin yeah. from so Shut Up and Sit Down. And Tom Vassell came out and played it and he said, I don't know what you're worried about. This game is fantastic. Right. It's great. Yeah. And they were like, oh, well, awesome. I don't know what we're worried about. Maybe we should tell Quinn's not to bother coming. <laughs> but they said, well, he's already got his plane ticket. And apparently he came out, played the game and said, yeah, I really like it, but I'll never play it again. Here's what you need to fix. <laughs> and he apparently gave them a whole bunch of things about, you know, you should you should have this and you should do that. Yeah. You should change that. And he and, and Contrell, yeah. I'm not sure what his first name is. I yeah. took a terrible note again. Uh, was just like, oh my god, he's totally right. And they and they, I think they took another year or two to put the game out. Wow! And they changed, they rebuilt a whole bunch of stuff, and now it's in the top 100. You know? Wow! So that's a great example. I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because I I forgot about it until you mentioned it as a as a great example of that. There, and there's a, not exactly video game related, but there's another story similar to that with. Um, Matt, was it Matt? Yeah. From, Shut up, sit down. From Undermine. No, from oh, Undermine. Oh, yeah, that was Matt as well. Yeah, Tolman. Matt, yeah. Matt Tolman, uh, who is very, who was very active in um, playtesting and stuff in the Calgary area. Right. And I read another person's design diary for their game. And, and the, uh, 
the game group that they were part of, uh, this Canadian game designers group, uh, was doing a prize every year. They were doing a game of the year kind of thing. Right. And Matt Tolman won with Undermining. And he was writing his design diary about doing his game and saying how much he, uh, I, th- I think, I don't know if we use the word hates having Matt in his playtesting group, <laughs> but not, but not for the reasons you'd think because the guy's a genius and, uh, fixes things like he he knows how to play the game but i guess the guy had like this social deduction sort of weird teamwork anti-teamwork game going on right and matt would come and figured out how to break his game and would would break his game constantly (sighs) until he found a way to fix it wow and you know so he would just matt would always be there and figure out how to crush his game until the guy could fit and but you know the guy had to admit like yeah he's totally right yeah i can't I can't publish a game if someone can play that way because someone's going to play that way. Right. And eventually he was able to fix what, what was going wrong and he won the next year wow. and it was against another one of uh, Matt, Matt Tolman's other games. Wow. Cool. And apparently Matt Tolman is not game designing anymore. He's uh, now a, a woodworker. Huh. Wow. He's doing high end woodworking in and out of the biz. Wow. But and, I, but he he also before he left did the did the Birmingham, right? Him and Gavin Brown is the other guy yeah. for Birmingham. Um, he did a bunch of things before he left anyway. But you bring up a good point with Mechs versus Minions, and this has been uh, I, I think it's really important that yeah you have something like League of Legends, which I've never played, but you know it's like a massive online RPG in in the vein of like. Baldur's Gate or something or Diablo is you're just kind of hacking and slashing. Am I right? I'm not even sure. I don't know what League of Legends, how it plays actually. I'm not, I've never been a PC gamer, more of a console thing, but I know it's not what Mechs versus Minions is, which is a programming game. It's just like completely different genre, completely different mechanics. You're programming these mechs to slam around, do different things and wipe out this kind of un, unrelenting horde of minions. I've looked into this game. It's like, I'm, it's on the it's on my grail list it's a big pricey it's, game uh, but it's a hilarious thing uh, just that where they were trying to figure out thematically right as a programming game how you no longer have control and you're taking damage from like hitting walls and stuff yeah. and and <laughs> why would that make sense but they have it or there's the creatures in the game are these little like goblin creatures yeah. or whatever who have never seen mechs before right find the mechs and are trying to learn how to use the mechs as they're being attacked. Yeah, so they can make <laughs> mistakes. It's really clever and it's a beautiful game. And I think that it, that hits hits on it in that. So I have, uh, which I brought up on here before, and I won't get into a huge thing about it, but um, the Dark Souls game from Steamforged, which was a huge Kickstarter. Dark Souls, the video game from, from software, has like a huge fan base, like a lot of diehards. The community is still really active. And this Kickstarter... Uh, made like $5 million, which is a, a lot. Um, and it really, really was trying to emulate the board, uh, the video game. And I, at the time, was just completely obsessed with the Souls series of games. And this is what happens in my brain. And I, I have another thing to bring up around this later. But I'm playing the game. I don't even know if I was finished Dark Souls. But when I saw that the board game was coming out, I was immediately thinking, oh, I can't wait that when I'm by the time that board game gets there, I'll have finished the video game and I'll be able to kind of recreate that experience on the tabletop, which is really silly because of course you can't, 
um, you know, not in the same way. And this game was promising to kind of do that. And it drops the ball in a lot of areas. It succeeds in some areas too. Um, but it really went to try to recreate it. It tried to recreate the grind of that game. Like as Dark Souls, you could be in a, a stretch of, you know, 15 minutes of, of that game where you just die over and over and over again until you learn how to fight the, the, the enemies, until you learn where you're going. Uh, and it's really grindy initially in that game. And they tried to put that in a board game. And what most people agree on is like, that's just not very fun to how it, just to give you an example of how it works as a dungeon kind of crawl game, you set up three tiles um, that have a card face down on them. And then a boss tile. When you enter a room, you flip the tile, you set up the enemies and you fight the enemies really fun. The first time it really is this tactical combat It's good it's dice chucking. Then you go into the next room, flip the card, set up the enemies, do the same thing again, go to the next room, do the same thing again. If you happen to die, if those enemies kill you, you go back to the start and you have to do that, those exact rooms again. You have to make it back to where you died to get the experience points that you lost. If you don't have enough experience points to get gear for the boss, then you just go back through those same three rooms over and over again to get the XP that you need. So a lot of, a lot of uh, community fixes for the game is just speeding up the XP, just doubling the amount of XP you get. And it, it's just one of those things where I think, like you said, they, they're not like greedy oil barons in their offices being like, ha we're going to cash in on Dark Souls. They really did try to recreate the experience almost to a fault where you yeah, can't you really. Fallout Monopoly. Yeah. That's a cash grab. Right. Yes. Yeah, those are just like. No, no one, uh, on. no one from the studio for Fallout was like, oh man, I really want our artwork <laughs> to be on Monopoly. Right. Yeah. And it's really interesting. And it, it got me thinking then, like, what could they have done differently? And, you know, I was even thinking about God of War again, because I'm just having so much fun with the action kind of combat of that game. And again, it's, it's, it's Norse mythology, it's Midgard. And I was thinking, that game would be better, not as an action dungeon crawl where I'm just rolling dice and, and, and hitting enemies, because it's not the same experience that would just be better as a good board game. It'd be better as Champions of Midgard, right? Where I'm chucking those dice and fighting huge monsters and I'm creating a thing in my head. But then I'm like, but that doesn't need to exist. I don't want Champions of Midgard with the God of War video game art all over it. I want those to be separate things. And I, I it's just, just thinking about this is helping me come to a place where uh, these, these IPs are, are less appealing to me. But again, I, I can't, help it and i've been trying to process what it's all about um if you let me go for a couple more minutes yeah yeah sure i've talked in the past a little while about slay the spire which is another video game i've been playing a ton of which is an interesting one because it's an immensely popular video game um but it's based on deck building which is a tabletop thing so it's it's kind of blending those two worlds and i was really enjoying it i still am really enjoying it as a video game i haven't played it in a while but um, immediately I was like, oh man, how can I create this as a tabletop experience? I wonder, will they make this into a, uh, a deck building board, just a tabletop game. And I figured, well, they probably won't. I immediately, um, I think that night that I was getting into that game, I broke out Thunderstone quest. Cause I'm like, yeah, I want to play a fantasy deck builder. And then I, I got into shards of infinity cause it was creating this kind of deck building, fighting bosses kind of thing. And then I was really kind of obsessed with 
oh man, they should really turn Slay the Spire into a board game, into a tabletop. And I was thinking of the card count and how they could do the procedure. Slay the Spire has procedurally generated dungeons, so it's the, the, the routes you can take are different every time. And then I started thinking like, oh, but the admin for this game would be insane if you had to like randomly generate enemies and bosses and card grabs and treasures. It'd just be all these kind of weird decks or dice rolls or it'd have to be, it would have to be app-assisted. And then I just started getting back to this blurry ground of like, if it has to be app-assisted, just, just play the damn game. Just play the video game. Leave it. It, can, it, it's, it works as a video game. That's, uh, that's what the, that makes me wonder, uh, Dire, Dire Wolf Digital? Right. Where they created Clank, which is one of, one of our most beloved mm-hmm. games here at Everyday Meeple. <laughs> um, and now they've they've really made a name. From the, and they were originally the the fellow who designed Clank was a video game designer, mm. and and came out with Clank. And then Direwolf Digital has really set themselves up as as a as an app builder for for board games, where they have a lot of renegade games are now built through Direwolf Digital for the iOS and and everything. Right. And and they have a game called Eternal which is uh, sort of a CCG card battle type game, which isn't analog at all. It's only digital, it seems. Huh. And that, that just launched fairly recently. So I wonder if it's a similar thing with Slay the Spire. I haven't played it. Is, it. is it something where they have maybe done something with the procedural stuff or done something that has just too much admin to, to bother? You know, it seems like because the deck building stuff Work so well as video games as well. Yeah, that they seem to have. I don't know. That's a tangent. Doesn't matter. Yeah, but, wasn't part of my. No, but it, it, it's interesting. And I, I what I what I'm trying to bring to it is I just started, you know, fantasizing about how to make it analog, how to make it put it on my table, to the point where my fantasies were just bleeding back into uh, digital. And I'm like, what am I? Why? It's not necessary. And that's what this whole kind of thought process has led me. I'm like. I don't know if it's necessary to be creating these video game, uh, try to create these video game experiences on a tabletop, create something new um, and see what happens. And yeah. it's interesting. And I've been, again, trying to figure out why I feel this way, where I, why I might play something like, and I have a really good example of a board game, a video game IP, which is Gears of War. It's a fantasy flight game created by, uh, designed by Corey uh, can. Kinexica, I'm not saying his name right, but he's the uh, Twilight Imperium. He just designed the Twilight Imperium Fourth Edition and uh, Imperial Assault and uh, a bunch of other games for Fantasy Flight. It's a great game, and again, it does try to emulate the experience of Gears of War, which is a run and gun shooter, like over the shoulder camera that kind of put you right on the front lines of like an alien war. Um, and I've really enjoyed the two times I've played it. And I haven't broke it out since because I think in my head it will never quite be as fun as the video game. Even though it's got minis and beautiful art and has a really good system, uh, it's still not the same. It would almost be better if you played it not knowing anything about the video game probably, right? And I think in this, I don't know if you, I think you were more of a tabletop guy before video games. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was the opposite. And so this is what I've been... My, My favorite video game when I was a kid was a game called Taipan, right. which was, which was, I played on my Apple II clone and it was basically a dry Euro. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you were, you had a trading boat and you went from, from port to port buying 
and trading and maybe ran into a pirate and it was it was mostly tech space and like right that was my one of my favoriteest games <laughs> that's great yeah and i i feel like i had the opposite experience where i grew up playing and somebody self-published a game called taipan that looks really similar to that that i saw on bgg the other day and huh. i'm just like i want to reach out to this guy and see if he has a copy in his garage well no, it won't be the same as your your apple version it might be <laughs> <laughs> in this case it might be <laughs> but so my experience a little opposite to yours where it might be why i'm fascinated with rob davio's uh boat game seafall seafall similar it might might be why i'm intrigued by that one more too maybe you're uh, in the minority, I think. Well, that's not necessarily true, but um, I am also intrigued by it. But I grew up playing video games, NES, SNES, and then my favorite games as a young person into my teenage years were RPG video games, Japanese RPGs in particular, Final Fantasy, uh, uh, Dragon. Oh my God, I'm such a big fan, I can't even think of the name. Uh, Chrono Trigger and Earthbound and yeah, yeah. these kinds of games. Having no idea that really they were based on. Dungeons and Dragons, like that. I did not know that until I was an adult that video game RPGs were inspired by tabletop role playing games. Makes sense. They're both RPGs. Um, but everything I know about RPGs, I'm to the point where early battle systems were still dice rolls, but the computers. Yeah. Oh, exactly. I mean, probably still are, but you don't notice them the same. Yeah. But in all of the early RPG fantasy games, there was pauses while you sort of checked your things, picked your stuff. Then there was like a pause for a dice roll Yeah, before you got a result. Yeah, they even they went through the extra work of including that. And yeah, an initiative order, which you know, it's all it's all there. Um, so I grew up with, with that. And then as an adult getting into hobby board games, what I've realized has happened the past five or six years is I've been looking for board games to kind of recreate the nostalgia that I I get from playing <laughs> RPG video games, which are essentially tabletop clone or tabletop uh, emulations. You know what I mean? It's, it's so it's really messed up. So that's why, like, I feel like Gloomhaven is probably my favorite game because it does a really good job of feeling a bit like that Final Fantasy game. And I can really imagine, if we're talking about IPs, I could really imagine that I, I have this fantasy of Final Fantasy VI, which is Final Fantasy III in North America. That's working really well with the Gloomhaven system. It has like a huge cast of characters, great map, great story. Uh, it could be, it could be probably pretty good. Probably not, based on my last conversation about uh, Slay the Spire, where I would just get back to being like, why am I just not playing this? Uh, playing this on my Wii because I have it downloaded on my Wii. Uh, but it's in my brain. I, I kind of want. Maybe it's just a, a weird case of wanting it all. Where you're like, oh, I just want all the experiences. You know, I want the video game, and then I want to see what it plays like on my tabletop, and then will make me appreciate the video game, and I'll hop back and play the video game. Totally bizarre. Don't really know what what's going on there, but uh, yeah, it's weird. In a in a weird sort of reverse engineered uh, segue. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a segue that moves toward. It's sort of what you're talking about, but it's a reverse engineering scenario. Okay. Uh, there's a designer named Kevin Wilson. Okay, that sounds kind of familiar. Who's who's quite familiar? He also worked on. Uh, he's a fantasy flight designer, so he also worked on Imperial Assault and Arkham Horror, and right. Uh, did did work on Elder Sign, which I just learned is is 
based on maybe a Kinesia dice game that they that they altered from, uh-huh. which is a Yahtzee game. If anybody yeah. likes Elder Sign, uh, Lovecraft stuff, Lovecraft Cthulhu stuff, and is intimidated by big heavy games, uh, Elder Sign is a Yahtzee. Uh, it's the Yahtzee engine sort of game that plays up to eight players and is is super fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played the played it to pieces, played the box off it. I said before, Kevin Wilson, uh, very well known designer, did a lot of great stuff. Uh, did Doom? Oh, so he built Doom, the board game. You're talking the old he, one or the newer one? The first one. Okay, yeah. Not not Doom Monopoly. Doom, uh, the board game, yeah. the first edition. But he is a small design diary talking about working through that and the challenges where he was saying, you know, he made a list basically breaking down that video games are, are good at real time and soundtracks and instant gratification and, and all of this stuff where board games are bad at real time, have no sound effects. The, the player experience is super slow and, and Doom as a first person shooter and a board game you're playing with other people, mm-hmm. it really changes the dynamic of the game. So then he ended up breaking down into a list of what are the core elements of Doom and then went on to to build a dungeon crawl game out of out of Doom. And I I think it did fairly well, but it became descent. Oh. That's what Descent is. And so the wow. for me, I'm thinking that the really interesting sort of reverse engineered bit of that, where you're talking how early RPG games came from pen and paper dungeon crawls, yeah. and then Kevin Wilson designed Doom, and then basically created a system for... And, and Tom Vassell on one of his videos gives him credit for sort of regenerating the whole dungeon crawl inboard games, and right. uh, which is... What sort of, I guess, Descent led to where Descent came up with better dice combat systems for dungeon crawls and all this stuff and the storytelling uh, really started developing. Yeah. So from a video game, board game, which which was a challenge to try and recreate an experience that maybe or maybe not should have been tried to recreate that experience, he seems to have distilled enough of the right experience out of that that it then became another board game huh. without the IP which made it even better yeah right yeah so having the doom IP on it wasn't necessarily helping it and anybody you know it it may have been a better game if it never had the doom IP on it right because people are comparing it because people are and I think that will always be something heavy hanging over the anybody that's from a design studio of a game video game, trying to make a board game where that is always going to be weighted because once you have fans, yeah. they're, they're going to be judging it against what they sure. are nostalgic for, what they love. Yeah. So, wow, that's interesting. I don't even think it's a great idea. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's... I was saying before that my personal feeling is uh, it's unfortunate because it's sort of taking valuable space mm. uh, away from, from other designers and other new ideas. Yeah. But I, 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 it's on top of that, like it's such a challenge just hoping that your fans won't judge it too harshly, right? Yeah, it's a big risk. <laughs> I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird, so, which makes me again think, is it, is it for the money? Yeah, 
It's weird. And I know, again, but again, maybe some of these designers feel the way I feel where they're just like, I just want to see it on the table. I just want to have the bits in my hand because what we love about board games, like the tactility and the social interaction of sitting around a table, a, a few of the things that you're not necessarily getting from sitting in front of a TV by yourself playing a video game, uh, I think maybe people genuinely do just want to say, hey, let's get some things in your hands, get the minis in your hands, dice rolling, card drafting, whatever mechanic you're using, get around the table and, and you know, have that D&D style experience, but playing your favorite video game in board game form. <laughs> it's, it's weird. Did Atari approach John Gilmore about trying to make Atari games interesting as board games? How did that whole series, John Gilmore did a series of old 8-bit cartridge, not even 8-bit, I don't know what they are, uh, the original Atari games. He did Centipede, he did Missile oh, Command, right, yeah. he did um, He did another one, and like Centipede, the amount of admin to be <laughs> actually playing Centipede analog, where you have to move right. that whole Centipede every, it's like, who who was behind that? Yeah. I'm I'm Weird. asking you, but I'm I don't asking, know. Yeah. You're asking, asking the someone, ether. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a weird choice. They look really neat. Yeah. But it's all I mean, I'm sure part of this is, you know, we exist in an, an era right now of constant reboots and revitalizations of nostalgic things where, you know, companies and, and boardrooms are just full of, well, what if we do this with Punky Brewster, or can we put Elf into a video game or a board game? Um, you know, people are just kind of milking that a little bit. There's a but, there's a Zelda game uh, from that Bandai put out mm. in 1988, I think, and I, I don't know if it was available much in North America, but it's it's a Hyrule Fantasy board game, and it's a it's it's a map. Right. And it's like the like the world map and and you move around and there's there's actually custom dice, I think, in it. Cool. And you're and it looked like I, I would have loved the game when I was a kid. Yeah. And then in like nineteen maybe that was eighty six and then eighty eight, Milton Bradley put out a Zelda board game oh. that looks horrible. <laughs> just just horrible. And and there's so many things like that. Like in yeah. eighty two, they put out a Pac Man game. Yeah. And they tried to emulate Pac-Man. So it's a board that looks just like the original Pac-Man screen. Right. And there's little holes and you put all these white marbles around. You have a plastic Pac-Man that you move. Yeah. You roll and you move and he actually eats the marbles. And Wow. That didn't need to exist. No. Well, then it goes back to the mechs versus minions thing, right? And there are some uh, shine. I don't know if they're shining examples, but they're good examples. We played this a couple times. I haven't broke it out in a while. I think... Sam is probably ready for it and maybe I'll try it. You know, it's not my favorite game, but I do have fun playing it is something like boss monster, mm. which, you know, is not, a, is not Mario is not based on any necessarily IP is really uh, tapping in on all those nostalgic things where boss monster is just a card uh, game where you are putting down, I think five cards in front of you to create a dungeon, like a side scrolling eight bit NES dungeon. And, you pick a you be, you pick a card at the beginning of the game that's you're the boss monster the equivalent of like Bowser or Mother Brain from Metroid and throughout the game you're just laying cards over top of one another to make the best dungeon you can trying to recruit heroes who look very much like you know the F aforementioned Final Fantasy characters I'm talking about uh, try to get them into your dungeon 
and see if you can kill them in your dungeon. You know, they have a health, uh, a health number and they jump through. And if you kill them, that's one soul for you. It's first to 10 souls, bit of a race in that way. It's a neat little game. <laughs> yes. We'll put the effects on that one. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, they're not, they're not recreating Mario. They're not recreating Zelda. They're giving you that, that look and that nostalgia, but at least they created a game. They created a, and it and something new and something new. Exactly. Uh, I was looking a lot at this eight bit box, uh, yep. which I got to say, doesn't super excite me visually really cool looking. Uh, you've seen this, right. And they have like all this weird ad campaign uh, of like, it's the first, I forget what they call it, but like first board game console, right? Because yeah. it looks like a console, the box itself. You take it out, it has a few it, controllers that look like a SNES controllers. You use those same controllers for different games. For their games. They have three that come with the console. And I think it's just, and then I might be wrong and I hope to be proven wrong sometime if we can try it. The games just don't look that fun. <laughs> but they're trying something new because you're putting this c- controller in your hand uh, you're not trying to play any specific video game IP. Um, one's like a programming game where, you know, you're programming, which is a big part of like old N- uh, Nintendo is like up, down, left, right, A, B, whatever. Um, is programming at your, your moves for this particular uh, Pac-Man style game is one of them. Um, whereas another one is like hidden uh, action selection, kind of simultaneous action. So we would all do something on our controller and we would reveal it's like an F zero race style game. I think where, yeah, we all pick something on our controller. we put down reveal and see who can race the end of the track. We'll drop them power ups kind of Mario Kart style. But again, not really recreating anything uh, from an old video game and trying something new at least. And it looks kind of cool, you know, eight bit box. Uh, it's a, it's a I yellow or I yellow or however you say that which is a big publisher. There are, there are games that totally work. Yeah. Like X, XCOM has been well-received. Uh, this War of Mine. Oh, right. I had a note about that too. Is, but You know, wow. Which, you know what? I never played the video game, but I, I, I probably won't because I really like the board game experience, even though it's kind of stark and, and, and unsettling at the same time. I don't want to know what the video game plays like. It's a good board game. Uh, the second edition of Doom yeah. is Jonathan Ying. Oh, yeah. Who did Bargain Quest yeah. and also did Sonic the Hedgehog <laughs> a while back, which is actually... it's Looks good. Is that what you're about to say? It's a dice rushing... <laughs> it's called Sonic the Hedgehog Dice Rush. And it seems like it's doing something really interesting where it's it's uh, it's kind of a Yahtzee thing. Right. But it, it might be more role for it where you're trying to win the cards. Right and build a build a tableau. I didn't read the rules, but it looked like it tried to do something different. Yeah, and uh, cool. Well, it's funny. I know we're running out of time, but we're running out of time. I wouldn't. Can I make one point? Totally. It's a, and I don't really want to get into it, but the the Mario Kart Monopoly, right? Mm. Which is is an okay. It's probably the best version of Monopoly that I, that I have played in a long time. But it makes me wish, kind of like the Sonic you're describing. Why not just make a new have fun, yeah. Game, a new race game that looks more like uh, Downforce or Formula D or something, but you're dropping power-ups and throwing shells at each other and not Monopoly and free parking for no reason or whatever. Weird. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack. I, I feel like we could continue this discussion uh, maybe sometime yeah, down the road, but... 
There's like a great implementation of Angry Birds where you actually stack all the stuff and then catapult a pig at it and knock stuff over. Throw birds at pigs. But I think that's more toy than board game. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. Anyways, hopefully I can drop uh, my obsession with wanting to put video games on the table and vice versa, board games on the on the screen, uh, and just just be happy with what, what I got, which I'm happy. I'm happy. Good to hear. I'm happy. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> Good to see you, Mitch. Bye. Bye, Steve. Bye.